We're in a series called The uh, Questions of Christmas because at Christmas time, we often ask ourselves a lot of questions like, what should I get Pastor George for Christmas this year, right? Or are we going to be eating at Grandma's? Or what are we going to get the kids? What time does everything start again? What, what are the, the, the service times of the Christmas Eve? So, I mean, we ask ourselves all kinds of questions at Christmas time. The same was true at the very first Christmas, but their questions were different. Last week, we took a look at Mary. And the question that she asked herself on that very first Christmas was this, will I accept God's mission for my life? This week, we're going to take a look at Joseph and the question that he asked himself. But before we do, I want you to jump into Joseph's shoes. Let's just say you learned that the girl that you were engaged with is pregnant, and it just doesn't make sense to you in all kinds of different levels. First of all, just in regards to her character, you know that she is a woman of integrity. We talked about this last week. And so it just doesn't make sense there. But not only that, she is telling a story that some angels showed up and that this birth is going to be a virgin birth. So you ask yourself, What in the world does this all mean? This doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Now, I don't think you and I have to put ourselves into Joseph's shoes with that question because we ask ourselves that question a lot, don't we? I mean, when when life, when you are faced with something, often that it just comes out of the blue, what does this mean? This doesn't make any sense. And that may have happened for you this week. You may have gotten some health-related news. You may have just gotten laid off. You may have been working on this relationship for a couple of years now, and all of a sudden, it has fallen apart, and it just doesn't make sense. What do you and I do when life doesn't make sense? Folks, this is the question that Joseph was asking. And it is the second most important question that you need to ask yourself and answer if you're going to fulfill the very purpose and mission that God has for you. And it is this, will I trust God? Will I obey God when life doesn't make sense? That question will determine your destiny. It will determine the quality of your life. Now this question, when it comes to trust and obey, we've got a lot of negative ideas floating in our mind. I mean, all you have to do is Google obey. And you know what will pop up? Well, first things, dog obedience school. Not a good picture, okay? That's not the picture that the Bible gives us, nor it is, is it the picture that Joseph portrays. For some, trust and obey is about uncontroll or not uncontrollable, but unwilling compliance. I think we got that mostly from our parents, at least I did. I mean, I heard this all the time because I was such an obedient child, right? George, if you don't do this, I'm going to beat the living tar out of you, okay? Okay, I'll do it. Unwilling compliance. But folks, if you look at the Bible, and particularly at Joseph's life, 
That's not the picture of, a, of, a, of someone who is in relationship with God. You see, how does trust and obey work for one who is in relationship with their creator God, Jesus Christ? Will you write this down? Obey is love plus trust plus action. Obedience is love plus trust plus action. And again, this is not a picture that we usually have, but folks, it is God's picture. And we see this again and again and again and again with lives of people of faith. Trust or love plus trust plus action. Real obedience begins with love. Oftentimes it doesn't. Oftentimes it begins with fear. Boy, if I don't obey what God tells me to do, he's going to strike me down. Again, I think we get this unwilling compliance, mostly maybe from our, our parents, but we definitely don't get that from God. I mean, throughout Scripture, the most often, often mentioned command, do you know what it is? It's mentioned 365 times. Fear not, fear not. Fear not. If God wanted us to fear him, why in the world would he put in 365 times, fear not? Notice what Jesus said about this. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. You see, obedience first starts with love. But then it moves to trust. Trust means I believe what God says. And that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? When life doesn't make sense, we've got to go to someone who knows something that we don't know, who understands something that we don't understand. That is why you and I, when life doesn't make sense, we've got to do what God says, not out of fear, unwilling compliance, but because we really don't know what to do. And God does. So out of love comes trust, and out of trust comes action. You act on what you believe. You and I only believe, honestly, what we do. Now here's the thing. It takes all three of these components in regards to obedience. Action without love. You know what, the, what, that, you know what that becomes? Religion, rote, empty, and meaningless. Love without action is mysticism. And it is just as meaningless and empty as religion. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, one act of obedience is better than a hundred sermons. It's one of my favorite quotes. I mean, we can hear a sermon, uh, hundreds and hundreds of sermons that just kind of put a quiver in our liver, a tingle down our spine. But what really is important isn't the feelings that we have when we leave this big house, but rather what we do about it. So here's Joseph. He is in a situation that he doesn't understand. He, it doesn't make any sense to him. And he gets a message from God saying, here's what I want you to do, Joseph. That's my God voice. 
And the great thing about Joseph's life is, folks, he obeyed. Out of his love relationship for God, he did what God said, even when he didn't understand it. It's easy, is it not, to obey God when it makes sense. It's a totally different thing to obey God when it doesn't make sense. Joseph is an example about how to live a new kind of life. A life of obedience when you don't understand it all, but you want to fulfill the very mission for which God has created you. So here's the deal. I know for many of us here, we want to live a life of obedience. You know that God loves you. You know that he has your best in mind. Well, Joe, as I say, shows us how to do it. How to love, how to trust, and how to act. Today, we're going to take a look at some meetings that Joseph had with some angels and his five responses to them. If you want to see God's mission fulfilled in your life, you need to take good notes. The first one is simply this. The first thing that we learn from Joseph, if we're going to obey God, is do it now. When Joseph heard from God, folks, he acted Take a look at Matthew chapter 1, 19 through 21. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I don't have time to go into that. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. When Jesus woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. There is this refreshing intimacy of Joseph in his relationship with the Lord. God says it, and he does it. Do we have that with our kids? Do we have that with our grandkids? It's just refreshing to to look at Joseph. and, And when God says it, folks, he does it. I truly believe that is a sign of people who live their life on mission who live their life in light of the destiny that God has for them. Truly, I've had the opportunity to travel the world over and to see a lot of great great lives of people who are living on mission. And to be honest with you, as I look and think of them all, people in Haiti, people in Philippines, people in South Africa, people in Nigeria, people in Vietnam, people in Cameroon, guess what I've discovered? They all come in all different shapes and sizes, but they have a few things in common. And that is, if God says it, they do it. 
Look at these verses right here. Psalms 119, verse 60. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. In other words, you do it quickly. Now, why is that? Why is it important to obey quickly? I think it's because the longer you wait to, to make a difference in your life, the more challenging it becomes. It gets harder. Let's just, let me give you an example. Let's just say you said something wrong to somebody. And as soon as you said it, you know, you heard this tiny voice, God's voice saying, you need to apologize to them right now. But you didn't. I know that never happens to you. And you hear that voice, and it seems to be getting louder, and so you decide, okay, I'm just going to go to them right now, and I'm going to tell them I'm sorry. And as you walk up to them, you say, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Now, after waiting a whole day, does it make it easier to do what you know you should have done, or does it make it harder? Makes it harder, doesn't it? Joseph acted, bam, like that. And so it was no big deal for him. Take a look at 1 John 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 3. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. My guess is when we read that verse, we, we think, you know, the first half, oh yeah, I got that one down. The second half, oh, I'm not so sure, you know. Some of those commands out there of God telling me kind of what I need to be doing... I think it's pretty heavy. I mean, some of this is really heavy. What makes some of God's commands and the direction in which he wants us to go burdensome when God has intended them to be refreshing? Now, I know some of you are still not getting this point. Delay. So let me give you another example. Let's say you ask one of your kids to take out the trash, and they say, sure, Dad, I'll do it in a minute. I'm watching TV right now. That ever happened to you? And so after a little time passes, you ask again, hey, have you taken out the trash yet? Hey, Dad, don't worry about it. Cool your jets. I got it covered. Now let me ask you this. The longer and the more often you ask that child to take out the trash, does it become easier or harder? It becomes harder, doesn't it? The burden increases in you. The distress begins to build until you either take out the trash yourself in anger or you take your anger out on them for not taking out the trash. What could have been a refreshing experience becomes a burden. Folks, I happen to believe the same is true with the mission that God has for your life. When God says something and we do it, guess what? It is refreshing. This is where Joseph was at. And that is where we start. The second thing that we learn from Joseph about obedience is simply this. You keep trusting. You obey immediately 
And secondly, you obey consistently. Now, some of us are good at obeying immediately, but we have a hard time keeping on keeping on. Others of us have it easier to keep on keeping on, but we have a harder time to get things started. Joseph was good at both of them, and God wants us to be good at both of them. Take a look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 25. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. He obeyed consistently. Now, I don't know if you know this. I've read the Christmas story a lot, and there is a lot of sex in the Christmas story. Haven't you read that in there? Not. Folks, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He is a young stud. He is about ready to get married. An angel comes to him and says, Joseph, no honeymoon night for you. No wedding night for you. And his response is, Oh, that is great. I wasn't looking forward to it anyway. God comes to Joseph, and he says to Joseph, I want you to get married to Mary, but I have a different plan. Do you and I not realize that Joseph was a young man that desired his wife Every day he was with her. But he decided every day, I'm not going to sleep with her. I am going to do what God has told me to do until that baby is born. Folks, that is amazing. He kept trusting even though he didn't understand it all, even though it didn't make any sense to him whatsoever. He didn't understand the virgin birth. He didn't understand that God was going to come into the flesh, and yet he kept trusting God, even though it wasn't the wedding plan that he had been thinking of for years. You see, one of the biggest questions in life is what are you going to do when your plans that you had for your life don't work out the way you want them to? What do you do? Joseph was in this situation. He had his dreams. He had his plans. What do you do? You and I need to do what the Apostle Paul says. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 4.8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but not crushed and broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do, but we don't give up and quit. Will you circle two phrases? Don't know why and circle the phrase, don't give up and draw a line between the two. Folks, we got to hold on to both of them. I don't know why this is happening, and I'm not giving up. 
Folks, I've been a pastor here for 30 plus years and I have seen some good, godly parents who love the Lord and whose kids have grown up and made choices that weren't the best. And I have seen those parents just scratch their heads. Why? What, what went wrong? What, what's going on here? This just doesn't make sense. And yet they don't give up on them. I see people in our church, too, that I'm working with right now that are fighting cancer. And folks, as you look at their life, it just doesn't make any sense. They don't chew. I mean, they don't smoke. They don't chew. And they don't go with others that do, okay? And yet they've got cancer. Where in the world did this come from? But guess what? They don't give up. Folks, there are a lot of things in my own personal life I do not understand whatsoever. I am not God. But this is what I do know. You see, when you are in the dark, do not ever doubt what God has shown you in the light. What we oftentimes do is we doubt our, we doubt our beliefs and we believe our doubts. No, you got to fall on that which you know, that which God has shown you in the light. And what I know is this, that God loves me. That he made me to love me. That he has got a plan for my life. And that it is a good plan. And though I may not understand everything, I am going to trust him when it doesn't make sense to me. When you don't know why something is happening in your life, you and I just got a couple of options. You can go to God and you can you can demand an explanation. God, I want you to tell me why this has happened or why I didn't get this gift. This is what I'd been planning on. This was the gift I was hoping to receive. Or you can thank God for the gifts that you do have. You can look at what you think God owes you or you can look at what God has already given you. Unfortunately, most of the time people ask for an explanation. And even if God would give it, because God is God, we don't understand it. And so we turn away from God and we become bitter. We don't see this with Joseph. He knows God is God and I am not. And he can be trusted and I am not going to give up on God. This is what Joseph did. The third choice that Joseph made. He hears from God. He hears from another angel. Hears from God through another angel. He heard, Mary, Mary, keep her a virgin until the birth. And then the third thing, after Jesus is born, he hears this. You got to let it go. If you're going to fulfill your mission, folks, I can guarantee you this. There are going to be some things that you are going to have to let go. Look what happens after baby Jesus is born. Matthew 2, 13 through 15. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. 
So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. Folks, he left everything that he knew behind. He left his best friends. He left his community. He left his practicing faith there where it was really dominant, okay? And he went to a strange culture. As I think about this, at the deepest level, guess what? He was sacrificing their comfort. And they did, didn't they? The comfort of a nice engagement. The comfort of a normal pregnancy. They had to ride on a, on a donkey to Bethlehem, okay? The comfort of, of pleasant visitors. Generally, when people come to the hospital to visit, I mean, they're kind of dressed up. But not, not Mary and Joseph. They had these smelly shepherds show up. Folks, they, they, at, at the deepest level, they, they sacrificed their comfort. The truth is, if you're going to fulfill your mission in life, folks, it's going to be uncomfortable. You, too, are going to have to let go of some things that are very dear to you. Why? Because when you and I are comfortable, guess what? We don't grow. When we're comfortable, we stay where we're at. This may shock you, but God is always moving us to the uncomfortable. Why? So I can grow. So I can change. So I can be a better person. It is always uncomfortable to live out your mission. It is always uncomfortable to say no to lesser things so that you can say yes to greater things. It is always uncomfortable to face your fears. It is always uncomfortable to start new habits. But growth and change are always on the other side of discomfort. Let me give you an example here. Here's how it happens. We all want to live obedient lives. I believe that with all my heart. I think we all want to live obedient lives. And along the way, as we're traveling down the road of life, we, we pick up these little creature comforts. But then God comes along and he says, I want to take you to a different place. I want to take you in a different direction. And with that comes challenges. And when he challenges us, the temptation comes up of holding on to the familiar, of holding on to those things that are comfortable. And yet if we do, we miss out. I miss out. You miss out. We all miss out. And what is it that we miss out on? We miss out on the God of comfort. Take a look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. I say this, that God's comfort is always better and greater than the world's comfort. 
When you and I hold on to the comfortable, we miss out on the God of all comfort. And I want to invite you in this holiday season, this December, instead of relying on the comfortable, that you rely on the God of all comfort in a refreshing, new, inspiring way. How do you and I do that? As we remember that Christ let it go, let it all go for you and I. Take a look at Hebrews 5, 8. So even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. So how do you live an authentic, obedient life that's driven by love and trust and action? You do it now, immediately. You keep trusting consistently. You let it go completely. Number four, you take a risk. You obey courageously. Look at what happens to Joseph, Matthew 2, 19 and 20. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. And he does. He, he does. Think about this. Think about the courage it must have taken Joseph to do that. All he has is the word of an angel. What if that angel was wrong? Oh boy, my life, my son, my, my wife, we are sunk. But he doesn't. He totally trusts God and he takes a risk. He did what the psalmist talks about in Psalms 56, verse 3. Even when I am afraid, I will keep on trusting you. Will you circle the word when? Notice that it doesn't say if you're afraid. It says when you're afraid. Folks, in this world, you and I are going to face fears. We are going to be filled with fear. Fears about maybe our future, fears about our health, fears about some relationship that we have, fears about our kids, whatever it is. How do I look at those kinds of things? How do I look at those fears? How do I look at the fear? I wonder what people will think of me if I do this. What will people think of me if they see five extra pounds on me from the Thanksgiving dinner? That, that wouldn't be pleasant. Folks, we face fears all the time, don't we? Every day. Th think of this. Just think of yesterday. How many fears did you face just yesterday where you had to decide, am I going to cave in to my fear or am I going to trust God in spite of my fears? Joseph chose to trust God and he took a risk. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you took a risk because of your faith? I don't care whether it was a big risk or whether it was a small risk. When, when was the last time you took a risk for your faith? 
As I think about this, I, I think there are three types of risks that are out there. There is crazy risks, like taking all your money out of the bank, going to Las Vegas, and putting on the number seven. That would be stupid. That is crazy risk, okay? But then there is calculated risk. Moving your funds from one investment firm or vehicle to another, that's a calculated risk. And that's, that's, a good, that's okay. But the best risk is a Christ-like risk where you give yourself your time, your talent, and your treasure to those who could possibly reject you. This is what Christ did. He left heaven above and came to earth knowing that some, yes, would say yes, but that many, as the Bible says, the path to destruction is wide, would say no. Christ-like risk. When was the last time you took a risk like that to give of your time, your talent, and your treasures? When you and I begin to take those kinds of risks, you know what's going to happen? We are going to see life open up like it's never been opened up before. As you came in, you were given a little pamphlet. One of the risks is maybe giving a little beyond what we normally give. Our goal this year is 35000 towards these different. We always think, about others at life point. And you know what? For 30 years, we've never wanted for anything. Amazing to me. How about you? Because we have a family. Hey, let's take a risk. And let's see what God does. Will you pray about that? What is God challenging you in your faith, in the way of your time, in the way of your talent, in the way of your treasures. There's a fifth thing that we learn from Joseph's story about obedience, and it is this. Use your brain. Do you want to live a life of faith? Well, you just don't put your brain on the shelf and just trust God in a mystical type of way. No, you use your brain that God has given you. Living a life of faith is listening to God, yes, but it's also using the brain that God has given you. Joseph does this. Take a look at Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 2. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. What is Joseph doing here? Folks, he is surveying the land. He knows what has happened. He knows who is there, one of his uh, Herod's descendants, and he is concerned. And so he brings this up, and God says to him, you know, that's a good thought. <laughs> that's being quite intelligent, to be honest. What do you think you ought to do? Well, I'd really like to go back to Galilee. That's where I'm from. Go for it. 
And so Joe is living by faith here, but he's also engaging his mind. Now it's interesting as you read this story, you you may have observed that every time Joseph was wanting some direction in his life, an angel showed up and gave him that direction. And you may be thinking, well, Pastor George, has has that ever happened to you? I mean, have you ever had an angel speak to you? And honestly, I don't know. I want to share a story with you. I'll never forget this. Cheryl and I will even, she would even say it if she was here. She's sick with bronchitis. When we first moved to the Dallas area to start a church in the Richardson-Dallas Corridor, we came down not knowing anybody and met a group of people and another pastor that I'd met to start a church, and we felt all alone. And we were homeschooling back then. And that even isolated us more in one sense. And about midday during the week, we get a knock at the door. And so we go to the door, and lo and behold, there is a person. We're looking around, there's no cars, and there's this guy selling curriculum. Okay? Homeschool curriculum. And honestly, as Cheryl and I looked at him, as we thought back, he looked like Clarence. You know, Clarence of... uh, Uh, It's a wonderful life. And we invited him in. We talked with him. And he said, hey, I'm selling these books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, we've already got those. So, oh, well, well, what do you do? So, well, I'm a pastor, and we're just down here. We're starting a new church. Well, so I want you to know that just be encouraged. God's encouraged with you. And he left. Two seconds later, I kid you not, two seconds later, Cheryl and I looked at each other and he said, because we just read Hebrews 13 too. Be hospitable because you might be entertaining angels. And we looked at do you think that was an angel? I, I don't know. We opened the door and we went out and looked around. Nowhere to be found. Folks, I don't know whether that was an angel or not. I know the Bible speaks of angels. I didn't need that experience, honestly, to know that angels exist. Because every morning at 4.30 in the morning when I wake up, I see Cheryl sleeping. And that's the only time she looks like an angel. (laughs) Now, this is a counseling situation right here. It doesn't go outside this room, okay? How do you and I get God's direction for our life? Through His Word. It's the most assured thing. Take a look at Matthew 7, 21. So then anyone who hears these words of mine... And obeys them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Do you want to fulfill God's mission for your life? You need to believe God's word. You need to build your life on God's word. How do you do that? By engaging your mind. Take a look at Psalms 119 verse 34. Give me insight Circle that word. So I can do what you tell me. My whole life, one long, obedient response. You get into God's word and you say, God, engage my mind. Tell me the what, the whens, the wheres, the hows 
of what I am reading. Expand your word into my mind. I want to know what you are saying to me that will help me fulfill the very mission for which you have called me. Just like Joseph. Why? Because that's what love does. Take a look at 2 John 1.6. Love means doing what God has commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another. Will your December be a different December? Will you accept the mission that God has for you like Mary? And will you, like Joseph, trust him when life doesn't make any sense whatsoever? Will you be driven by love and trust? And will you act with your time, your talents, and your treasures? Church, let's pray. Let's ask God to fill this season. Lord, I just thank you for this holiday season that we're in. And it's so easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle of Christmas. It comes every year. And every year we tell ourselves we're not going to do it the way we did, but we end up doing it the way we've always done it. Busying ourselves here, going to this party there. And God, those are all great and wonderful things. But we need to pause and we need to ask ourselves the right questions. Am I going to accept the mission that God has made me for even in this season of life? Am I going to trust you when my plans don't work out? God, I want to ask you that you would do that for our church family. That we would be like Joseph. That we would love you. That we would trust you. And that we would act. That we would act immediately, God. That we would act consistently. That we would act completely. That we would act courageously, God. We want to we be led, God, by you. Speak to us. How do you want to use me, God? Will you ask yourself that? How do you want me, how do you want to use me, God, this Christmas season? Who do you want me to invite to the Christmas tree lighting, to the Christmas Eve services? God, what do you want me to give? God, how can I serve? God, our life is yours. And we place it into your hands. And we thank you that you are a good God. And that you're working for your glory and for the good of other people. And so God, we give you this. We look forward to the remainder of our day. We trust you, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.